Curtain Radio. As promised, joining us in the studio right now with his great stories, Trevor Tuff from Outback Grave Markers. Good to have you back home for a little while, Trev. Thanks, Jenny. Good day. How many k's a year do you think you travel? Oh, this year we'll probably do fifteen or twenty thousand, I suppose. Oh, gosh, do you change your car every couple of years? No, no, it's, it's uh, <laughs> just maturing nicely now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good thing about they're so well equipped, aren't they? Four wheel yeah. drives these days. I mean, the old bone rattlers that uh, our, the, our forebears used to well later than the forebears, but well, getting around in the outback yeah. was a different ball game, wasn't Very it? Very reliable now. Yeah, and the safety features are good, aren't they? Communication and so on. Um, yeah, we're pretty basic, I suppose. Are you? Yeah. Oh, you haven't got the latest? No. Oh. Ring-a-ding-dings? You're not a gadget, gadget man, no. <laughs> oh, my gosh, Trevor, there's so many out there. Good to have you, like I said. Coming up next Monday, you're off to Menzies. That's right, yes. We're uh, working with the Shire up there, and we'll be marking all the graves at Comet Vale, which is right on the road just south of Menzies, and also at Davyhurst. And there's two little cemeteries at Davyhurst. There's only, I think, five in one and and probably another 25 in the other. Graves, are they all unmarked? Uh, there are a few headstones. We have, over the last few years, marked the ones already that have headstones. Right. And this time we'll be doing all the ones that we don't really know who's in which grave. What do you do about that? Uh, we just put the... The, all the plaques up in rows. Gotcha. A prop nearby order. is yeah. such and such. Yeah. The, you know, the interesting thing about all of these stories that you give us is we get to know about the person, but when you do the plaque, you can't put all this information on it, can you? Uh, no, we put a fair bit on. We put their name and their uh, occupation and age, at, well, how old they were when they died, yeah. and what they died of, cause of death and mm-hmm. the date. So you get a bit it's, of a Yeah, it is it. good. But, I mean, do you have a website? Yes, we do, yeah. We'll and every plaque has a reference number, so you can look that reference number Great. up on our web- website and see the whole story. Get the story. Mm. We received an email, I think, from a relative of the first story today, asking when you were going to be talking about Roddy Schwann, and you are today. Yeah, we... Uh, Hope they're listening. We actually spoke uh, about him last year. Some of you people might uh, remember that uh, he died at uh, Duketon on the 13th of September, 1904. West Duketon age 37. Uh, it's up in the gold fields. Yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. And uh, apparently at four o'clock in the afternoon, a big storm which had been brewing for two days culminated in, in thunder and lightning and preparations were being made for tea and Schwann was sitting on his bunk in camp while his mate Jeremiah Barnett went out to a wood heap to get some wood for the fire. And during Barnett's absence, a vivid flash of lightning struck Schwann, oh, killing him instantly. Well, since uh, our last chat, we've come up with a bit more on that story, that Rody Schwann's mate, Jeremiah, was apparently a very lucky man because seven years earlier, in 1897, the same Jeremiah Barnett was playing drafts with James Heffernan at Mount Margaret while a storm was brewing. They were both struck by lightning and Jeremiah Barnett was revived, but James Heffernan died. So Jeremiah Barnett goodness. survived two, two lots. lightning strikes. Lightning strikes <gasps> and other blokes were killed. <laughs> I'd be sticking by his side. I don't Seriously. know you'd run away from him or, or No, stay I'd stay close. with him. Yeah. If he goes out to collect wood, go with him. Yeah. What a horrible thing to have happened to the man, though. Lightning strike. That'd be awful. It's quite a lot. Quite a lot quite of story. So you have put a plaque on his grave, have you? And uh, Roddy Schwann's. Roddy Schwann's? Yeah, we have. Yeah, have. Okay, I called him Roddy. It's Roddy. Roddy Schwann. Uh, Alfred Bird. Uh, This is a story of a lonely grave, which has come from one of your listeners, a bloke called Hugh Rutter. 
and Hugh and his family have been around and are still involved with stations in the Carnarvon district and around Mount Augustus and they have been for some generations and he uh, got on to me and put us onto this particular grave of a bloke called Alfred Bird which is located at Harris's Tank about 140 kilometres east of the Manilia Roadhouse and Alfred Bird was born in Woodside near York and at the age of 24 he married a girl called Lily Elizabeth Freeman in Carnarvon and at the time of his death they had four kids, four sons aged from seven years to the youngest William was only six weeks old and apparently in the late 1890s a race meeting was to be held near Harris's tank and being a cartage contractor Alfred Bird was sent into town to pick up the drinks for the meeting and on the 18th of May 1896 and on his way back with a load of grog, Alfred was accidentally killed by his wagon passing over him. He was aged 33 years and three weeks, and his death certificate was signed in writing uh, by his brother, Edwin Bird of Carnarvon. So Alfred was uh, buried at Harris's well, and his grave has a headstone and a railing. Mm, it's on goodness. Williambury Station, and we're talking with the current owners about marking this grave. What happened to the alcohol? <laughs> I think he might have had some of it before he fell off the wagon, oh, so to speak. Yeah, there's a story to a story, isn't there? I think there? so, yeah. yeah. Um, Urilla, is it? Yes, Station, Station uh, which is in the Shire of Menzies, and that has uh, two known burial sites there. It's a, it's a cattle station, and uh, each of those burial sites has two graves. And last trip we found the earliest site about 60 metres into the bush from a newly graded fence line. We weren't looking for it. And you can still see the remnants of an old post and rail fence with a gate. Most of the rails and many of the posts have fallen down by now, but the two graves are just inside the gate and to the right. There are no markings, but the mounds are distinct, and we found those. And these are the graves of Simon Elliott, a mine manager, who died of a ruptured heart on the 21st of March, 1897, aged 63. And he was married to a lady called Catherine. The second grave is that of Thomas John Marshall. And he was a miner, aged 26, who died of thirst about the 14th of February, 1899. The second cemetery, the later one, was surveyed on the other side of the main road, we had a GPS from old mining maps, but we walked all around the place for about seven kilometres all over the area and we just couldn't find any sign of the graves. It appears that there's been at least 500 millimetres of sand deposited from floods across the area, as evidenced by partially buried old fence lines. I believe the graves have simply, simply been covered over. You have to be a bit of a detective, don't you? Yeah, mm. and those two graves were of a fellow called William Ferris, a prospector who died of heart disease on the 12th of November 1905, aged 42, and an infant Boaz, a baby boy, stillborn on the 18th of March 1906, and he was the son of Phil and Ellen Boaz. So on Friday of next week, we'll go back up there and we're going to mark the two earlier graves and group the plaques for the other two with them. When you do put these plaques up, the um, descendants of these people, do they know that that has happened? Uh, sometimes they do, if, yeah. if they listen to your program. Well, yes, let's hope they do. And they can go to your website, we'll mention can, that, yes. and have a and look to see the stories if that's there. the case. Um, Mount Margaret and Mount Morgans. Well, this, uh, we'll be marking the graves at Mount Margaret and Mount Morgan in the Shire of Laverton over this uh, 
into about September. And uh, they're really interesting, these two towns. And they were the first of the two... Well, Mount Margaret was the first of the two towns to be established in 1894. And it became the big administrative centre for that mining area. But in 1896, much richer gold dis discoveries were made at Mount Morgan's, about nine miles away. Mm, goodness. And uh, these were pretty wild times. <laughs> were and, they ever? Uh, the police commissioner, uh, Mr Hare, remarked in 1902 that with a convict background, the proportion of five males to one female and a large quantity of gold, one must expect a high level of crime. Yet in comparison with other states, this is not really so. Well, he was probably comparing it with Victoria and New South Wales. <laughs> of course. Yeah, of course. Pretty rough over there. More refined here. <laughs> and uh, there were harsh penalties for being in possession of gold without proof of legitimate ownership, and the unlawful use of a horse was frowned upon. Obscenity was not judged too seriously, nor were the nightly disturbances in the houses of ill fame in Phoenix Street. The constabulary under Police Constable Morris Sullivan paid no attention to the gambling that was rife amongst the miners. And it was not unusual to see a man <laughs> risk his entire, pa entire pay packet on a game of fly loo. <laughs> And the gambler would start with a pile of sugar in front of him and lay bets that a fly would land on his pile first. Flies were plentiful and <laughs> bets fast and furious. Doesn't surprise me. That's right, yeah. And so it's probably the most honest gambling that's ever been, that fly loo, I would think. That's great. New barbecue game for you there. <laughs> and uh, the other story I'd like to uh, tell you about, it's a Great Wild West story, when Mount Morgan's uh, started up and they were getting a lot more gold there, everyone decided to shift from yeah. Mount Margaret nine, nine miles away to Mount Morgan's. Right. And uh, the authorities had to come up with a way of allocating this land, and this is the story of this. And it comes from a rare and marvellous book written for a mining company by Diana Chase and Valerie Krantz nearly 100 years later. Apparently in 1899, advertisements in the papers such as the Western Argus in Kalgoorlie, the Leonora Minor, the Malcolm Chronicle and the Mount Margaret Mercury, aren't they marvellous old yeah. papers? <laughs> and they, these advertisements uh, advised that certain lands at Mount Morgan would be open to the public for commercial and residential purposes. The land would be allocated to those who at the appointed day and hour made the fastest time over the nine miles between Mount Margaret and Mount Morgan's. <laughs> the mode of taking possession was by digging four trenches, one at each corner, of an area 100 links wide and 250 links deep, which is roughly 20 metres by 50 metres, and erecting four pegs, uh, four inches wide and three foot high, in the trenches. So as the specified time drew near, the district warden, Mr A.E. Burt, stood at the starting line. Behind it there assembled an anxious crowd of women, children, old men and young, miners, butchers, ladies of the night, <laughs> ex-lags and adventurers, all with pegs in hand and determination in their eye. They were mounted on a strange array of beasts and bicycles, straining forward and waiting for the warden's starting signal, a loud cooey. Stories of that pegging race spread throughout the goldfields. One woman, with baby at breast, struggled forward on foot, sending her other children scampering ahead to sink the pegs. 
There were tales of tripping, shooting and temporary containment of contestants. One man was made so drunk he missed the whole event and another thought he'd have the winner's choice when he purchased a racehorse for selection day. But in classic hare and tortoise fashion, the racer fell, his rider with him, and an old digger on an ancient hack reached the coveted block ahead of the field. Banjo Patterson could have made a wonderful poem <laughs> of this event. How fantastic. Practically the entire Mount Margaret Township joined in the exodus. Enterprising local blasphemists and wheelwrights, Parker and Bickford, contracted to remove establishments brick by brick and rebuild them in Mount Morgan's. The Royal Hotel took them a month, and by the time they finished, a miner with a few beers under his belt could have been forgiven for thinking he'd wandered nine miles off course. In the wake of the prospectors came the banks and churches, pubs and prostitutes, and all the paraphernalia of community living. Encouraged by these comforts, the population grew. In 1899, Mount Morgan's mine produced 13,700 ounces of gold. In December 1900, 13 months after the race and it's the town's birth, there were over 600 residents in the town. Mount Morgan's was added to the map and proclaimed a municipality with pomp, high hopes, six councillors and a mayor. By 1903, gold production had risen to nearly 65,000 ounces. By 1909, it had dropped to 15,000 ounces and in 1910, just 3,000 ounces. In 1912, only 19 ounces of gold were produced from our Morgan's mines. It was over. <laughs> Discovery, boom and bust in 12 years. That is an incredible story. So, yeah, Isn't it's it? one of the stories of our pioneers that Outback Grave Markers reckons it's worth telling. Isn't it interesting the amount of gold they were getting out down to what they eventually got out? Amazing amounts of gold. But it doesn't yeah. reproduce itself. I mean, it takes a long time for that to happen, so you can only that's take right. so much out, yeah. can't you? They were very rich, the, the fines. Yeah, that's for, the descendants of those people would have... Lovely for them to know about these stories. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, that's great. Now, from here, you're going to go back up, you're saying, to... Yeah, we're going up to Menzies Menzies, next Monday. And uh, we'll be up there all next week. We should be back by the weekend to do those ones. Then I'm off to Darwin uh, at the end of the month. What are you going to be up there for? For a week. Uh, It's the 40th anniversary of a regular or Australian Army unit called North Force. Northwest Mobile Force. Right, which Which covered the whole of the Northern Territory in the Kimberley. In the 80s. It uh, started in 1981. So Looking for illegal immigrants. Illegal immigrants. It was just okay. uh, frontline defence. Yeah. We had a lot of people coming in by boat then, didn't we? We did. Yeah, yeah that yeah. was a huge thing. Yeah, I saw a few of those. I bet you did. Yeah, yeah, sad, you know, to have to leave your own country, I think. It's always a sadness, then. Yeah. So always good to that? see you, Trevor. Thank you. And what is your website again, please? Uh, www.outbackgraves.org. .org, that's very true. Yeah. And if people, can they, in fact, leave comments or ask they questions? Can, yes. Oh, you, good. You can uh, get on to us through that. Okay. Trevor Tuff joining us. Back to me.